7. I invite you to turn to those. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use one of the Red Pew Bibles. It should be in front of you. Again, Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, the the truest and deepest knowledge we need is knowledge of you, not just facts about you, but to know you and be transformed by your glory. I pray that you might meet with us, that we are sinners here in your word, that you would be near with me, a sinner, as I seek to proclaim it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Often, I think... It's easy to miss, but the invisible people in the world are some of the most important people. Like when we think about society, and we think about who matters or who's important, we naturally think of, I don't know, like the celebrities and entertainers and athletes, or we think of the politicians or the CEOs or whatever, and those people are important, um, but we often... Like, what about the garbage collectors, right? That's what I want to ask. You know, I mean, what about, what about the people who are invisible? Like, like, all the entertainers in Hollywood could take a month off, and I would not notice, but if the two guys that pick up my trash um, <laughs> took the month off, I would be in all sorts of um, trouble, because it would just be piling up at our house. Many of the most important jobs in our world are invisible. I mean, where would... Where would your life be without the sanitation workers and plumbers of the world, right? <laughs> and, and the work that they do. What, um, what would we do without, without the people that grow our food? When you, when you go to the hospital, as much as we focus on the doctors, often it is the nurses or even the janitors who are doing work that um, if we didn't have, <laughs> we would notice even more maybe. Often the invisible people are just as important. And in Christianity, we have this, um, when we talk about God, we talk about this idea that God is triune, if you've heard that before, that God is a trinity, that God somehow is one God with one essence, but he is also three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all distinct from each other and in relationship to each other, and they're all one God. And we're not going to go into that, um, that idea this morning. <laughs> if you ever want to talk about that theological idea, I would be happy to talk about it, but we're not going to dig further than that into it. But um, it's, Im- it's biblical and important, though, even though it's mysterious. But what's striking to me is when we talk about that idea of the Trinity, we all tend to have a picture, I think, a sense of God the Father, right? This is, he's who we pray to, you know, I mean, we have this kind of sense of God the Father, and we have a sense of God the Son, because that's who came as Jesus, and so we think about him, but oftentimes, that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can be kind of invisible 
to us. He can be a, the invisible person of God. Many of us really don't think about him at all. We don't know quite what to do with him other than just knowing that he kind of exists. Or for others of us from other sorts of traditions, we think about him, maybe even a lot, but only in a very particular set of circumstances. So we're thinking about him in terms of like, like miracles and people speaking in tongues or things like that. And we're not really going to get into that set of questions this morning at all. Um, but if in either of those groups, what's striking is that the Holy Spirit is not someone that we think about dealing with our lives very often. And I think that that's a problem for us because that's not how the Bible talks. One of the interesting things to me that we haven't really had a chance to bring out as we've been preaching through the book of Romans this year is this role that the Holy Spirit plays all through the book in these different ways that he is involved. And that happens because it's often the kind of invisible ways that he's involved or ways that Paul kind of like talks about what he's doing and I don't know that we always hear it. And so what I wanted us to do this morning, we had a kind of natural break. We only read two verses, you might have noticed, and, um, and we're going to do something a little bit different than normal rather than just talk about those two verses, which is what we would typically do on a Sunday. We're going to kind of jump off from there because those two verses are about one of the things the Holy Spirit does, and we're going to try to talk about a bunch of the different ways just in the book of Romans that Paul sees the Holy Spirit as working and engaged with our lives. So we're going to do that, and there's a bunch. There are six different ways, so we're going to just roll through all of them, um, and then we're going to talk at the end a little bit about what that means for us and what it looks like for us to live out of that. So let's get started. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit makes us alive. Um, Paul says that he makes us spiritually alive. And that might sound kind of strange to us, but let me show it to you. So in Romans 8, if you remember back at the beginning, Paul draws this contrast between life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And he means the Holy Spirit when he talks about the spirit there. And so, for example, in verse 6, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And we can read that, and I think we can hear that as just saying that, like, it's kind of life-giving to set your mind upon the Spirit, you know? I mean, but, but it's more than that. If you go on in verse 10, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is actually the source of life. He says, if, in, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So it's not just that, like, spiritual things are life-giving, but the Holy Spirit is somehow actually giving us this sort of spiritual life. That works like this. According to the Bible, we are dead in sin. That is a common way for it to talk. So, for example, in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And what that deadness means, if you remember back in Romans 3, we talked about this idea called total depravity which is that every part of us is warped and affected by sin. Every part of us is sort of bent towards sin. And so that means that, that no part of us in ourselves can kind of seek and find spiritual life for ourselves, right? My, my mind is messed up by sin, my heart, my feelings, my emotions, my will. It's all kind of warped by sin. And that doesn't mean I only do terrible things, but it means that seeking after what is ultimately good, giving glory to God, living life in relationship with him, my heart, left to itself, isn't able to do that. It's dead in that sense. 
But then a little later in Ephesians 2, Paul says this. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And so when God saves us, he's not just doing something external to us, but somehow part of our salvation is that God comes and makes our hearts alive in this sense. That somehow now we are able to desire the things of God and seek after God and experience um, that longing for and desire for the life that he calls us to. Back a few decades ago, if you were around evangelical churches, and some of you are, this is going to be familiar language too, but people would talk a lot about being born again, right? They would talk about born again Christians. And that's not, that, that word has kind of fallen out of favor, largely because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But that word comes from a very biblical idea of being born again. In John chapter 3, there's this Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what do, what do I got to do, Jesus, in order to be saved? What do I got to do? And he wants Jesus to give him the list, right? So that he can just check the items off the list and then feel good about himself. And what Jesus says is, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, wait, what, like, like, like crawl back into my mother's womb? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? And then Jesus in John 3 says this. He says, truly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So that's the Holy Spirit, right? That when we are saved, the Holy Spirit actually moves into us and breathes this sort of spiritual life into our hearts. And like I said, we're going to talk about kind of what all this means for us at the end, but we're going to keep going. Secondly... So the Holy Spirit makes us alive. The Holy Spirit also unites us to Jesus for Paul. The Spirit unites us to Jesus. I don't know if you were here a while back, but we talked about this idea of union with Christ. That we aren't just in a relationship with Jesus like like a contractual relationship, right? Or like a business relationship with him. But that somehow we are in him and he is in us if we are Christians. That we are actually like joined and spiritually merged into Jesus. And in the Bible, that is how all of the good stuff in Christianity happens. And in Scripture, that is done by the Holy Spirit. So at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that language of in Christ Jesus if you were here from that sermon, you might remember, is the language you find all over the Bible to talk about our union with Christ. We're in Jesus, but then here's how that works. If you go to verses 9 and 10, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And what that's saying, you'll notice that it starts talking about how um, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and then he calls it the Spirit of Christ, and then Christ dwells in you. Do you see that progression? So he's saying somehow that because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Christ is actually dwelling in us. And here's what that's saying. 
There's two things that the Bible says about God at the same time, right? One of those things is that God is exalted and up there, right? He's apart from us. He's over us. And, um, and, and that's true of Jesus in a sense right now. I mean, Jesus, when he's resurrected from the grave, right? He has this, this resurrected body and then he ascends into heaven. And somehow he's actually seated in that other place that is heaven, apart from us right now. God is over us and beyond us and above us in Scripture, But at the same time, God is pictured as near to us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That when Jesus goes away and sends the Holy Spirit, because God's Spirit is in us and with us, then God is right here too. He can both be up there exalted in the heavens and he can be right here with me and with you. And that means that the Spirit is also the the path through which God communicates his blessings to us. That we receive the righteousness of Jesus and the grace and the life and the power of God because the Spirit is here with us, giving them to us. So, for example, in Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love has been poured into us because the Holy Spirit is here in us. So we are united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And coming out of that, Paul also says the third thing, which is that we're united to each other because of the Holy Spirit. We're united to each other. Paul doesn't stress the Holy Spirit's role in this in Romans, but he talks at the end of the book a lot about our unity. So for example, in Romans 12, and I know we have a typo on the screen for that one, but in 12:5, so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So we're one body in Christ, Paul says, and that's that union with Christ language. So we should expect that the Spirit is involved. But what's striking is that he says that we're one body in Christ, and that means not just that we're in Christ, but also that we're, in a sense, in each other, that we're connected to each other. Um, We are united like parts of a body. In 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, Paul talks about our unity directly with the Spirit involved. He says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So by the Spirit we're brought into the church and we're all participating and partaking of the Holy Spirit, and that means that we are united to each other. Which is another way of saying... um, when Jesus, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount um, talks, about, talks to these people who clothed and fed and cared for, you know, the least of these, he, he tells them, they say, when have we, have, he says, you've done this to me. You took care of me when I was, you know, when I was poor and you clothed me when I was naked. And they say, Jesus, when have we done this for you? And he says, as you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. But here's the thing. When he says that, he's not just saying, I'm choosing to kind of like, you know, because I care about these people, um, you know, that I'm going to count it that way. What Jesus is actually saying is that's true because in that person is the Holy Spirit. And so I have to relate to my fellow believers recognizing that it's Christ in them somehow as well as in me. And so I have to treat them as if God in the Spirit is dwelling in them, which transforms the way that we treat each other. So three down. 
Three more. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, Paul says. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And that word sanctify, I know, isn't familiar to some of us. But it's, it means to make holy or to make righteous. Um, I'm using that word because it's, it's a word the Bible uses to talk about this process that we're in, which is that when we become a Christian, we're all justified. That's another word that came up in Romans. We're made righteous. God counts us as righteous in Jesus. And someday when Christ returns, we will all be glorified. Our sin natures will be destroyed and we will be completely free from sin. But in between, the Holy Spirit is at work growing us from what, so that this, is, this thing that's true of us in Jesus when we're justified becomes more and more true of us as we live. It won't ultimately reach its fruition until we're glorified, but he's making us more like Jesus in the present. That's a process that we're all in the middle of, and that's a process that the Holy Spirit is doing. So, for example, in Romans 15, Paul is talking about his mission, and he says he's doing it so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the holy spirit he's ministering to these people as they're being sanctified by the holy spirit that's also what paul means in romans 8 when he talks about living according to the spirit so like in 8 13 when he says for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live that that process of putting to death the deeds of the body and living for the spirit That's the process of sanctification. And Paul says that that's true, and that that's not something just that we're doing, but it's something that God is doing. It's happening by the Spirit. So like in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So that means that that the Spirit is sanctifying us, not just in the sense that like he's there and we're becoming sanctified, but in the sense that he's actually at work in our hearts challenging and calling us to start to change and become more like Jesus. And, number five, the Holy Spirit encourages us. Um, He encourages us as we walk through the midst of that process of sanctification. In Romans 14, Paul's talking about these debates um, the Roman church is having, and here's his conclusion. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, which are the things that they're debating about, um, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's that last part, right? That It's righteousness and peace and joy that are being given to us in the Holy Spirit. And so in part, that's about what we're seeking, that we should be seeking the joy and peace that's found in the Spirit. That's why Paul's saying it here. These people are getting obsessed about these kind of secondary debatable issues, and he's saying you're losing sight of what's really important. But more than that, Paul actually understands the Holy Spirit as this person of God who is at work to give us righteousness and peace and joy. In chapter 15, he prays this. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul prays for peace and joy from God, and he says that they're getting that. They're being given hope by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. So for Paul, the answer to how do I rejoice is seek it in the work that the Spirit is doing. 
I think that often when, I, um, when I'm lacking for that hope and joy, my instinct is to go everywhere but there to find that kind of fulfillment, right? So like I feel discouraged and what I do is I start planning. I'm laying kind of worried in bed about something and what I do is I come up with some plan and it, it might be preposterous and I might have forgotten it in the morning, but I, I come up with this plan of what I'm going to do and I run over and over it in my head and then I fall asleep, right? Somehow I try to use that to overcome my anxiety. Or I try to overcome my anxiety um, through distraction, through just, you know, flipping on the TV when I feel that. Or I try to overcome it um, just by, by telling myself, look, you, you are strong and awesome and powerful. You know, you can handle this. I mean, there's all kinds of ways I seek to do it. And none of those are exactly wrong. But what Paul is saying here is if those are the places that we look for comfort, and we don't turn to the Spirit as well, we're actually denying ourselves one of the main resources that God gives us to give us comfort and to calm our anxieties. That's five. One more thing the Spirit does in Romans, um, and that's that he intercedes for us. And that brings us back to the text that we read this morning. So if you look at it, if you start in verse 26, Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's been talking about how at present we are weak and groaning, longing for God to bring healing to our world. And he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then the way he does it, if you keep reading in 26, he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's that language of groaning that Paul was just using to describe the world groaning for the sons of God to be revealed and our hearts groaning for Christ to return. He says the Spirit um, intercedes for us with those same sorts of wordless groans. And so he says then in verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, these two verses are actually really hard for me to get my head around. Because basically what Paul's saying, he's saying, God is this one who searches and knows our hearts. And God knows the mind of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a part of God. And because the Holy Spirit prays for us in accordance with God's will, God hears God praying for us. Um, which is kind of confusing, I guess. And when I wonder what it means, part of me, frankly, just has to say, I'm not 100% sure. Um, although, to be fair, I'm not 100% sure how prayer works in general, so I guess that's okay. But what's remarkable is that wh however the mechanics of that work, what Paul is saying is that um, God is not, God is on our side in prayer. When we think about prayer, we often, I think, have this picture where we're here and God is there, right? And what we're doing is we're trying to, like, go there, you know, to, to, to convince him, to lean on him, to, to, to be loud enough or, or faithful enough or, or whatever, um, to try to, to move over there and so move God. And Paul's saying that God isn't just there, that God somehow is present on both sides of the equation. That God is here with us, praying and interceding for us and on our behalf. And God is here, hearing those prayers. So I don't know what, how that all works, but I find that an immensely encouraging thought, right? That, that the kind of encouragement that many of us feel if someone, you know, if we find out someone's been praying for us, that that's true of us 
all the time in God as he himself somehow intercedes for us. So that's a lot of different things the Holy Spirit does. And that's actually only a small portion of all of the things that the Holy Spirit is involved in doing in the Bible. He also, for example, brings repentance. He's the one who convicts us of our sin. He gives us gifts. If you're around the church long enough, you'll hear people talk about spiritual gifts. And that doesn't mean just like gifts that feel spiritual. That means gifts that the Holy Spirit actually gives different members of the church. Um, The Spirit helps us understand Scripture when we read it. The Spirit is the means through which we truly worship God. We worship Him in spirit and truth. And we could spend three hours talking about all those things, and we're not going to do that, which I know is a relief to some of you. But here's the, the reason that I find all of that so meaningful. It's because what the Holy Spirit should remind us of is whether we are seeing it or not, God is always at work. God is at work in the world, and God is at work in us. If you are a Christian, that is because God has done something in you, right? You can't, I I mean, I can't point to that, you know, that moment where it happened or anything like that, but the fact that I believe in and trust in God is a result of his working by the Holy Spirit in, um, in my heart. That if we're Christians right now, the Spirit is is sanctifying us. He's working on us, helping us to grow and become more like Jesus. Right now, the Holy Spirit is uniting me to Jesus, and he's uniting me to other people. And he's encouraging me, and he's interceding and praying on my behalf. The Holy Spirit is at work in all kinds of ways in the world and in us. And while that's invisible, and so it's sometimes hard for us to see, we need to be reminded of that fact because what the Holy Spirit invites us to do is to start to live like God is at work. So here's the thing. Sometimes people hear about the ways that God is at work in the world, and they get this weird idea. They're like, well, God, he can accomplish whatever he wants, right? So if he's at work in the world, somehow I, that means I'm, I'm not supposed to work. Or, I'm, you know, why should I pray or seek joy or struggle to grow in righteousness if God is at work? But that's precisely the opposite of the right idea. Because really, I mean, if God isn't at work in the world, then why would you do those things, right? I mean, if God isn't at work, there's no reason for us to pray. But if God is at work, then that means that we can courageously and expectantly live the lives that he calls us into. We can live courageously because we recognize that the power of God is the power that we are joining with when we join in God's work. That I can fight against sin and temptation with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is working in me to help me grow. That I can take risks with people, take risks in relationship, because I know that the Holy Spirit is at work comforting and sustaining me. We can pray big prayers because we know that as they're in God's will, God himself is somehow praying them with us. We can live courageously because even though we don't see it, the Spirit is constantly at work. And we can live expectantly because if God is at work, he will accomplish what he sets out to do. I can like, like talk with somebody about Jesus and not feel like I have to be smart enough or have all the answers or, or whatever because God is at work in the world and in their life. 
I can rest in the knowledge that I am in Christ and that he is in me. And I can find hope when I'm discouraged or wrestling because I know that he who is at work in me, he's not going to give up, right? He's going to continue that work no matter how many times I fall and fail. Jesus, when he talks about the Holy Spirit in John 3, um, he talks about how the Spirit is like the wind, he says, blowing where he will desire. Um, That he is important and powerful like the wind, but that he can be hard to see. And in some ways, I think that's the perfect image of the Spirit. Because everything um, that we've listed, in a sense, talking about God being at work in the world, in a sense, is another way of saying that the wind is blowing. That in the Holy Spirit, God's wind is blowing. And, and look, you can't make the wind blow on the one hand, right? I can't, you can't like blow into a sail and make the boat, you know, the boat sail. That's true. But you also cannot stop it when it blows. That the question in that moment when the wind is blowing is not whether you're going to stand against it or whether, whether you're going to make it blow. The question is, are you going to open your sails and seek to sail into it, or are you going to seek to fight against it? The hope that we have is that we are not stuck in this life just paddling on our own effort. The hope that we have is that all around us, in all kinds of ways, God is at work in the world right now through his Spirit. God is at work. The wind is blowing. And he will, in the end, use it to bring us where we need to be. Would you pray with me? Father, I give you thanks for all of the ways that the Holy Spirit is working in the world. I give you thanks, Father, for, um, for the new life that you've given us in Christ, for the ways you've united us to him. And I pray that you would continue to sanctify us and encourage us until we attain to the resurrection of the dead. And when we have bodies, the scripture says they're somehow so full of the Holy Spirit that that's what characterizes them. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We now have the opportunity to come to the Lord's table, and every every month before we come, we profess our hope.